reduction is, um, well, how many animals do you have to use? What are the numbers of animals do you need to reach your conclusion? Can you reduce that number? And then replacement, is there something you can do with a, a less sentient animal? And like right now, you know, they use zebrafish as opposed to lab rats. <clears throat> so things like that is a replacement um, or using models and simulation, which, you know, with as technology progressed. And refinement is what can you do to the animal to prevent pain and distress to that animal or lessen pain and distress? Like, can you give uh, an anesthesia or a pain medicine or something to relieve that? You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Holtz um, from ORAU's Communications and Marketing Department, and we have a great show this week um, featuring a new voice to the podcast. I'm really excited to have Marcy Savoy with us. Um, she has co-authored a chapter of a new book that has been published, and we're going to talk all about that. But first, I want to welcome Marcy to the podcast. So Marcy, welcome. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, um, I'm Marcy Savoy, and I began my working career after um, getting a teaching endorsement. Prior to that, uh, I was a graduate student, and I worked my way all the way up to a PhD and completed a PhD in soil microbiology at Louisiana State University. And um, my husband and I, uh, we both finished at LSU about the same time, and we were basically in the same field. So our options were few after graduation. So I had a job offer in Washington State University, and he had one at University of Tennessee. Okay. And since UT is closer to home, uh, we wouldn't feel like we were moving to Mars. Um, we took the UT option. And from there, I decided to go and get a teaching endorsement for high school seven through 12. So I did that for uh, and I got my endorsement I taught high school, mostly biology and chemistry for um, about 20 years. And then I was able to retire from that job. And I worked here at Oak Ridge uh, at o ORAU for um, about 
as a part-time temp again for about three years. And then I moved on. I got a position with Lincoln Memorial University as their medical librarian because they have an osteopathic um, division there. They have the School of Osteopathic Medicine. While I was teaching, I was getting my library degree and I wanted to be a school librarian, but that never seemed to pan out. So um, after retiring and after working at ORAL, which which was basically in um, information science, what I'm doing now, and I got the position at LMU and went there and worked there for five years. And then I retired totally because I was of age and um, came to work for uh, ORAL because they needed somebody. So I was interested in being a part-time temp again, and it fits really well into my schedule. Excellent. Uh, The reason I've invited you to the podcast is you have um, published a chapter, a book has been published called Finding Your Seat at the Table, Roles for Librarians on Institutional Regulatory Boards and Committees. And your chapter deals specifically with um, animal regulations and the humane treatment of animals as part of research projects. So if you would just explain a little bit about your chapter, why it's important, um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Well, what the whole book concerns is the librarian's role on institutional regulatory boards, such as the IRB. Um, And what I was a member of, either a full-time or an alternate member, was called the IUCUC. And that stands for Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee. And basically how I explain that to people, it's the IRB for animals. So so every university that does research or teaching with animals has to have an IUCUC. So um, I started out taking the place, usually it's the veterinarian librarian mm-hmm. who, who does this. I was actually the medical librarian, but our veterinary librarian had left and we were in an interim position. So they had asked me to take the place and more so than um, IRBs, there's a literature literature search component in an IUCUC protocol. And that's why usually there's a librarian on uh, an IUCUC. However, um, they're getting more common too on IRBs as well. So what my chapter dealt with, the book contains uh, both IRB and IUCUC, is we specifically focused on Um, a little bit of the research protocols, but we looked more into teaching protocols. Um, And there's not much written on teaching protocols like there is on research ones. Uh, The literature is profuse with research protocols, but not so much with teaching. And this, um, well, to back up a little bit and give a little history, um, beginning, you know, and I'm just gonna, well, in American uh, veterinary education, 
the first, it, it began really with the um, end of the Civil War mm-hmm. and the cruelty uh, treatment of horses and mules was noticed. And the first um, humane society was formed in um, shortly after the Civil War in Massachusetts. And veterinary education in the United States came about in the 1880s. And what really was um, all you needed for that was 12 months of non-consecutive education for over a period of two years. And the only prerequisite was reading, being able to read and write. And by the 1940s, um, veterinary education is pretty much what it is today, the two-year pre-vet program and the four-year professional. But um, in the 1950s, this started in England, there was, um, and I think, you know, and it stemmed from after World War II and the Nuremberg trials, I think, you know, coming out of that, right. where two uh, British scientists, uh, Russell and Birch, came out with um, how to handle animals humanely when doing research. And the premise for them is what we call the three R's, reduction, replacement, and refinement. Reduction is, um, well, how many animals do you have to use? What are the numbers of animals do you need to reach your conclusion? Can you reduce that number? And then replacement, is there something you can do with a, a less sentient animal? And like right now, you know, they use zebrafish as opposed to lab rats. <clears throat> so things like that is a replacement um, or using models and simulation, which, you know, with as technology progressed, And refinement is what can you do to the animal to prevent pain and distress to that animal or lessen pain and distress? Like, can you give uh, an anesthesia or pain medicine or Mm -hmm. something to relieve that? So animal research was more focused on the three R's. We call those the three R's by the 1950s. Well, in 1966, under President Johnson, the Animal Welfare Act was established and um, it was enacted by Congress and it was enacted because um, unfortunately during, before that time, uh, pet, pet animals that belonged to pet owners were being stolen for laboratory purposes. So um, this, this was, uh, this act was enacted to, um, to prevent that, the illegal trafficking of stolen pets for research purposes. And in 1970, the AWA, the Animal Welfare Act, evolved into a regulatory agency um, for oversight and animal use in colleges and universities. So, and this included veterinary schools. And by 1985, the IUCUC was formed to oversee each institution's, um, how they were handling their protocols for uh, humane treatment of animals, both in research and teaching. Um, But 
even when I took a training class in um, at the National Agricultural Library in uh, Beltsville, Maryland, mm-hmm. on searching for IUCUC um, three R's to see if there are better ways to, how do you search the databases for replacement, reduction, and refinement? It, everything that came out was research. And, and very little was done on, okay, well, that's good for research, but when we train veterinarians, they've got to learn how to do certain things on animals, you know, they, and there really wasn't any protocols that addressed the three R's when you were teaching veterinarians. So that's what we found out. We, it was very difficult to find information on what you can do. So for example, um, we had limited herds of cows and horses at LMU, but you have maybe 400 vet students and maybe a herd of 25. Well, what do you, if you want to learn how to take blood from a cow or from a horse, there has to be resting periods and how many students per animal, you know, things like that. And we really weren't getting how, how do you minimize their pain and distress when you, but you also need to train these veterinarians right that's a lot of needle sticks for yes yes <laughs> for a horse or a cow right exactly or palpitations you know that to me would be even worse but um so this is this is the problem that we were having because we're mostly a teaching veterinary uh, hospital. Now, we, since we were a level six university, we had to do some research, but research was pretty much low level. It wasn't like big, huge clinical trials that you would get in larger universities. So, um, but the, the uh, teaching methodologies were really hard to find. So, we decided to concentrate our chapter on teaching protocols and Really, I think I just found one good article that really went into teaching protocols. Everything else was research. So we had to, so my book, well, my chapter, we pretty much extended what's okay. We've got to think outside the box because we're not finding anything in your typical databases. So that's what our chapter concentrated on, a little bit on research as well. Um, but mostly the teaching and um, well, where can, what, what else can we do? We got to think outside the box here about teaching protocols. So how did you solve that problem for the book? Or is that a problem to be solved still, you know, in terms of, you know, you've got, you've got this one really good article on teaching protocols. How do you I guess, get more information or is that a need that is expressed that like, we need more of this? Well, what what I suggested um, in the chapter, what we suggested was, um, why don't we treat this more or less like a scoping review, which is going out there and looking for what was lacking and um, what is needed. So that, and, and when you do scoping reviews, you want to extend your um, choices to outside the databases. So that's what I did in the chapter. You know, we did that in the chapter. And 
came out with a few suggestions that we could try for teaching protocols. And one of them were uh, many university websites have, um, and e we even had a little one of this, but there was one that um, came out of, oh, was it Cornell that had, um, and it was called, oh, I can't think. It was the three T's for the three R's. And what it was, was it's just a whole bunch of little recipes that you can make of models to first start these students on, you know, how to inject um, what skin would look like. And they were, they were put out there for the public with how to make them. And um, so that was one one good area where you could where uh, where a person when a professor submits a protocol to the IUCUC, well, we looked at this university website and we suggest making these models to um, help intermittently while using the actual animal. So this might alleviate and give the animal more rest. So that was one possibility. And the second one were, uh, well, let's look at um, federal sites. And what came to mind was the extension service. There are veterinary extension, uh, uh, extension veterinarians, I should say, and they work more with um, lay people, producers of uh, that handle or um, have uh, food, what they call food animals. Those would be your lambs and your cows and chickens. And, um, and they go out there and they show them how to handle them, uh, how to administer medicine and basically things like that, but especially for the handling Mm -hmm. So, and, and you can find uh, extension publication bulletins on university websites as well, or through the extension office. So that would be another place that you can look for a teaching protocol. Sure. And um, the last one is gray literature. Um, often we don't go to gray, and, and this is really common in scoping reviews, is to go to gray li literature, which covers things that aren't published yet in databases, you may find them at conferences or they may be white papers that you can find them in institutional repositories at different universities. And this would be another one, but there are several databases of gray literature, okay. which would be an option rather than going to the typical uh, citation databases or um, ones that, have journals, actual journals in them. So this gives you another option. So those are the three main ones that we discussed to find different ways to handle animals and to present them as teaching protocols as opposed to the research protocols. And um, another thing is you want to, uh, our university, LMU, had partnerships with local uh, animal shelters. Okay. And this gave ample opportunity because the numbers really didn't matter when you were teaching veterinarians how to spay and neuter because you had all the animals you wanted mm -hmm. at the shelter to, to learn that technique. So um, 
sometimes it, it helps to get your protocols down, your teaching, like how do you clean teeth um, right. you know, for cats and dogs and things like that. And once you get your protocols down and they're accepted, you can use them year after year. And what you can use um, are clients. Uh, the regular people bring their animals to mm-hmm. the university to get their teeth clean right. at a cheap uh-huh. price. I've right. done that with my cat. <laughs> and um, But the protocol was set up. But when you go into actual veterinary care um, for a client's pet, for mm-hmm. a patient, um, they don't, they're no longer under the IUCUC. So you'll see veterinary offices are not under the IUCUC. Okay. Um, but if they're going to, if any type of research needs to be done, or if they take their animal to uh, a university hospital and they want to maybe have to remove a tumor and they have to uh, analyze, you know, look at the tumor and, um, and do pathology on them. Yeah. Then you have to submit a protocol, protocol. for that. Okay. So, um, but, but that's basically what our chapter was talking about was um, how, do, how do we get more with the teaching and handling right. and um, not so much with the research because so much is out there on research. Right, so. right. And the IOCUC also has to um, make uh, twice a year, we have to inspect our facilities to make sure they're adequate well ventilated, clean, because we can get these drop-ins from uh, the USDA mm, sure. <laughs> and these sure. surprise visits, and um, that's not fun. You don't want to get dinged, so you always want to keep that up. And um, and the one of the editors of the book, um, Susan Harnett, she was from University of Florida, and they were responsible for the inspections at Animal World and Disney World. So so that even (laughs) Animal World was under, since it's an institution, it was under the, it had to be under the auspices of an IUCUC. And University of Florida was the the center of their IUCUC. So, but that's basically um, what we did as a, medical and veterinarian librarians. Once we hired a new veterinarian librarian, then I became an alternate so um, member, but went through the same training. You have to do specific training. It's called, and I can't remember what it stands for, CITI, city training. And you have to um, uh, do these periodically, like every three years in order to be a member on the committee. Mine are still, I have one with the IRB and I have two with the IUCUC and they're still good till 2024. Okay. So. <laughs> good to know, right? <laughs> um, it does sound like, you know, a really important topic, um, especially for, you know, those of us. And I know there, there are legion at ORAU um, and certainly in the community who love animals and, you know, um, have pets and all of those things and farm animals etc so um 
it definitely sounds like important and very interesting research. And I did have a chance to read the chapter and I, I found it, especially the history, um, fascinating of how um, research on animals has developed over um, really the centuries since the Civil War. So um, I just want to say that personally, I found the chapter interesting and um, fascinating, and I think other people will too. So if they get a chance to, you know, take a look at it. So. Well, I got my gratis copy. Oh, <laughs> so nice. They sent it to me. And and just one one other thing I wanted to say about sure. when you mentioned how the public, we have many members here at ORAL who love their animals. The IUCA committee is made up of a variety of um, uh, people. Of course, you have your attending veterinarian. Right. And the chairperson um, uh, was, um, he happened to be a PhD in paras animal parasitology. Okay. And you had to have one, then you had to have a science person on there. So we had a conservation biologist. Then you had to have somebody who was non-science. Okay. And they considered me the non-science person because I was the librarian. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, but then we had two community members and they oh. really offered some really good insights to the Ayukuk. We had, um, I don't know what one of the, we had two, but there was one I didn't know what her occupation was, but another one had a goat farm and with some llamas and, and she made, and she had, she was real into knitting and had a tea shop and, she asked some really wonderful questions and had given some really good insight. And um, it was just very much appreciated. The ones that weren't scientifically orientated were um, more likely to answer these questions, which made you think. So, right. um, so yeah. that, that's what made the committee really good. It's because it, and it, it has to be like that by law. Okay. Um, you have to have non-science and community members, and community members. Okay. on on the IUCUC. So gotcha. So um, that's really interesting to know, especially for folks who you know. I don't. There's probably a process at every institution for how you become a member of the IUCUC. Yeah. But um, if people are interested, they can certainly investigate that. So, mm -hmm. If they um, wanted to be a a yeah, community, community member, member. yeah. For sure. Yeah, um, I'm not you, sure of the process either. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything I haven't asked you that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that we say before we close out? Um, no, I I think I covered everything that we were involved in in okay. this chapter. But I I just want to say that I truly enjoyed. When when they first asked me to be on this committee, I I didn't know what it was. I was hesitant, but they needed somebody, and um, I was asked if I could replace it. Because another person that's on it too is the usually the vice um, president of research okay. is is on it, and uh, he asked me if I would be on it after the vet librarian left. And I just found it fascinating. As soon as I got in there, I was just 
you know, they give you the protocols in advance and you can ask your questions and, and um, it wasn't a, it, it, and I have to admit it, it just wasn't a breeze through process. There were questions that we asked the principal investigators and okay. um, how, why are you doing it this way? And, you know, and if this was really necessary and so um so it wasn't just a pat process where you no it, it just wasn't you know okay you did your protocol and you know you go on we Thanks, sometimes yeah. those meetings would last for three and four hours oh wow okay so, so yeah you really dug in to yeah the protocols yes yes they they can get pretty intense wow. so all right well Personally, I hope I never have to go through one, <laughs> but I don't see myself doing any research on animals anytime soon. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Marcy Savoy, thank you so much for oh, you're welcome. being with us today and for um, sharing your very interesting uh, work as part of this book. Thank you oh, so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank good. you for having me. My pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.